Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Arvid Call, and we're going to talk about building in public, how to leverage Twitter for more reach. Now, here's the deal. Even if you don't care about Twitter, you're going to want to pay attention to today's interview because the concept of building in public is a absolutely fascinating conversation. In today's interview, we refer to it as Twitter because I have yet to reconcile what else to call it. I know sometimes some people call it X, some people call it Twitter. We're just going to call it Twitter for today's sake. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show by clicking that little follow button on your favorite podcast app so that you get all of our amazing future content. We got a lot of great stuff coming your way. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Arvid Call, Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Arvid Call. If you don't know who Arvid is, his company is called The Bootstrap Founder. It's a media business that helps entrepreneurs get started and thrive. He's also author of The Embedded Entrepreneur and host of the Bootstrapped Founder podcast. He's working on a future book that's going to be coming out called Building in Public. Arvid, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. I'm super excited you're here. Today, Arvid and I are going to explore how to build in public, leveraging Twitter slash X. We're just going to call it Twitter for the sake of this, <laughs> yes, please. For the sake of this interview. <laughs> Arvid, I would love to hear your story before we get into this. How'd you get into Twitter? How'd you get into social media? Start wherever you want to start. Oh, wow. Well, I'm a software developer at heart. I come from the, you know, software dev kind of scene. Always loved computers, always loved making things happen and build things. I think one of the most interesting moments of my life was having my first computer. I come from East Germany. That's kind of where I grew up and it took us a while to get technology there. But once we got it, boy, was my life different. Like it was it was a different time. Always loved doing this stuff. Worked for a lot of different companies as, a, as an engineer for Silicon Valley VC funded startups for my own businesses, bootstrapped a couple that totally failed, worked regular kind of software jobs, those kind of things. And struck it rich, uh, not just figuratively, but like actually <laughs> struck it rich when I built and sold a software as a service business back in 2019, co-founded that with my girlfriend. It was just a productivity tool for online English teachers. It was a thing she needed, a thing we built together and we grew it to, you know, $50,000 monthly recurring revenue just with two people. It was a bizarrely profitable endeavor. People lined up wanting to buy it. Eventually we sold it. I guess, but felt like minutes before the pandemic, which was lucky for us. Good because, timing, yeah. Yeah, it was bizarre, like bizarrely close to that. But it worked out. We sold for what I'm allowed to say is a life-changing amount of money. And ever since then, 
I've been diving into the, the writing side of things because coding is writing, but you write for machines. But what I learned in having a regular job just before we founded that business, I had to commute a lot and I was reading all these books and listening to all these podcasts. And I saw these amazing founders, these amazing entrepreneurs sharing their knowledge freely in the open, in public, without asking for anything in return. I benefited massively from this, built a business from all the knowledge that succeeded and changed my life quite literally. And I thought, I need to do this. I want to do this now. So I found my way into the communities that I was kind of already part of. I have a Twitter account from like 2009 or something. I already had the social media accounts. I just didn't know how to use Twitter for real, like how to use it right as an entrepreneur, as somebody who actually wants to make stuff happen. I built a presence on Twitter. I started blogging. I started a podcast. I started a YouTube channel in that order, I think. I had a newsletter in there as well. And over time, just used the medium of Twitter the community, the indie hacker, entrepreneur, creator community that exists there to build a reputation as, I, I guess, an expert. You know, there's some imposter syndrome here in even claiming that title for myself, but just as somebody who helps people help themselves and other people. And I built that presence on Twitter. I now have, I think, 120,000 followers as of today or two days ago, which is bizarre. It's unimaginable, that kind of number as a single person, as a personal brand and actual human being on a social media platform. But I use the platform to teach what I know, to encourage people who are trying to do things that I have done before or would like to do as well. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Like that's that's my my path into Twitter is come from technical side, learning all the other things. Like I said, failing horribly at trying to build businesses until one eventually worked. And now I'm sharing the gospel of entrepreneurship. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you said you started a YouTube channel and you started a podcast and you started writing, right? So it's fascinating that you took all these different mediums, the visual medium of YouTube, the audio medium of podcasting, which one can argue for this show, we do both. We record this for those that don't know as a video. And then we also make an audio out of it. If you've been listening for a long time on the audio side of things, you might not realize that. But I also love the fact that you're experimenting with this written form, right? Which is Twitter. What was the unlock for you that, okay, maybe Twitter talking about what I'm doing, like, tell us, like, was there a moment where all of a sudden you realized, oh, I should do more of this? Yeah, when I, when I started, like, just after we sold the business uh, in, in 2019, like I said, must have been July or something. And then we had a transitionary phase to hand over the business for a couple months. So somewhere around October, November is when I really started using social media more because now I had the time, finally, after running a SaaS as one of the only people working on it, I finally now could do something else. I tried playing World of Warcraft for a bit. That didn't work for me. So I had to do something meaningful instead. No dig at the game. It was fun. But it just didn't didn't work the same way as it used to when I was younger. So I, I found Twitter. I found writing. I started the blog. That's really what it was. And what I noticed was in my interactions with people on Twitter, I was you know, engaging with people, talking to them where they were already having conversations, not trying my own stuff, but really going somewhere else and chatting with people where they were chatting already. I noticed that sometimes a tweet is like a, an article in a really compressed form. And sometimes me just writing 280 characters of something quickly translated into 280 words of the same thing, but in more depth. And those 280 words could easily be turned into a, a thousand or 2000 words if I would really dig into this. So Twitter became kind of a, an experimental lab for me to just play with, with new thoughts or new ideas and, and see immediately how people responded, if they responded at all, which I guess I had 400 followers at that point. 
didn't didn't really have much response most of the time. But, you know, when people did, it was a pretty clear indicator that there was something, even if it was controversial, but there was something there that needed some more exploration. So I, I figured out quite quickly that Twitter was a great place to find ideas, to experiment with ideas and to refine ideas into something bigger. And I've been doing this ever since, like every single week. That's what you said just now. I have my article, the newsletter and the podcast and YouTube. And people often ask, like, how do you do all of this and why? (laughs) Maybe more importantly, why do you all of these things? But I kind of cannibalize myself. The thing I write every week is my newsletter. It is my article on my blog. And it is the script for my YouTube video. And it is what I narrate into a microphone for my podcast. I do one thing in four different ways because I know people have different preferences, but I, I'm using writing as the essence of it. And most of these articles, if not all of them, start as a tweet, either by myself somewhere or a reply to someone else's thing, or even just as somebody else's tweet as a thought that I then take and refine for myself. Very fascinating. Did you discover this concept of writing your, or building quote unquote in public? Did you discover this because you had seen others doing it on socials and you were like, Oh, I, I'm inspired by a person and you started modeling it. Is that, is that kind of how it happened? It's like with everything in entrepreneurship, like we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. And I've noticed this so significantly. Like I said, I, I did the commute thing when I still had a stable job and I listened to podcasts and all that stuff. Like these people were doing it for free. And now I got to do this as well. And I would never have gotten even into the position to ever think about these things if it wasn't for other people freely sharing this. And what I found is that the the whole building public movement, or it used to be called Entrepreneur Ride Along back in 2009, there was a subreddit for the first time that came out then. I think Pat Flynn has been sharing his perspectives on the passive income thing, right? Uh, Right, right, right. Yeah, that SPI is, that has around since what, 2008? This has been around for a long time. It's just been only recently being called building in public because it's been more popularized by people in the indie hacker field. Like Peter Levels is an example. He started with this, I'm going to build 10 startups in a year. And he experimented, he failed with mine, but struck really a lot of gold with one with Nomad List. And that catapulted him into stardom. I think he has like a quarter of a million followers at this point. And he's really pulling the, the attention of the whole community with him into the projects that he's now creating with that kind of range that he has. It's, it's wonderful. So I definitely did not come, come up with this. And it's been around for a while. I'm just now noticing that there are certain people that have been doing this forever in their little niches that I have, wasn't aware of at the time or only have recently become aware of. To anyone who is a creator who is listening or has a creative vein inside of them that they want to express, if you tell yourself someone's already done that, you're robbing future people of your message because there are some people that will only pay attention to Arvid. And there are some people that will only pay attention to Mike. And maybe it's your opportunity to go out there and start sharing what you're learning, sharing your mistakes, sharing your stories. Now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but you know, my next question is why should we build in public on Twitter? Why is it so valuable? But I I just had to inject that in there because I know both of us deal with imposter syndrome. And as of this recording, I am releasing some content that some of you may have already watched or read or listened to that I am experimenting with. And I am arguably not building in public as much as I am sharing my perspectives and views, but it's going to allow me to do something down the road, which will enable me to build in public. Now to the question, Arvid, there are people listening right now that are like, why should I build in public? And 
specifically why on Twitter? What do you want to say to them? Well, building public is really just sharing your story, right? And usually you do this already more in private. You, you build in private. If you build anything, you build it for yourself. But you tell your friends, you tell your partner, right? You give update, maybe updates to yourself or your, if you have employees in your, in your business, you tell them or you have a, a log, maybe your journal or whatever it is. Building in public is just taking that to the next level and actually intentionally using the journey that you have, the journey that you're on, to bring further attention both onto you as a person for your personal brand as whoever you are, either you're a marketer or you're a founder, creator, somebody who, who has something to say to an audience that they want to serve and monetize in some way, maybe I, either of those, right? Maybe you just want to serve, maybe you just want to help your community. You can also do this in, in front of other people. You don't have to just sneak around and try to help like in secrecy. You can do this very publicly. So that's what building in public is about. And the way it is done tends to be just by being almost brutally honest about the ups and downs of your journey, right? It's not just the, the glorious highlight reel of the experience, something you see a lot when you see successful people talk about themselves and their business. It's always just about, you know, we're the greatest here and we have no competition there and we're spectacular and you should really invest into our business because they're looking for investors or they're looking for customers. That works for them, kind of, but it, it doesn't build trust, right? It doesn't really, like, you know, when somebody is just telling you a story to convert you into a paying customer or get their hands on your money. Building a public is the opposite of this. It makes you relatable as a human being or it makes your brand relatable to other human beings through the conduit of you sharing stuff from inside the business. Like it's, it's, a, it's a measure of transparency, willingly provided, and from there, authenticity generated turning into trust. And trust is extremely slowly built and quickly lost. So the longer you have a journey that you actively share parts of, right? let's say you're building an e-commerce business and you, you take pictures of your empty storage hall where you, you want all the things that you're going to sell to eventually show up. And then you build the shelves and you put your inventory in. I've seen people do this on Twitter, just show the reality of their business. And then they, they show their numbers on a normal day. That's all right. On Black Friday on Amazon, go all the way up the next week tanking like nobody's buying their product and they're, they're, they're wondering why is this like what's happening here they're sharing both the good stuff and the bad stuff and for some reason which is i guess just human psychology that makes everything they do so much more relatable and so much more understandable and where there's this kind of relatability there is connection and where connection is relationships establish themselves and i guess relationships are everything right now where people distrust big brands where they distrust you know privacy invasion and all that kind of stuff if there's a person that shares vulnerably their own story you are much better in just connecting with them than if you fear that they might take your money or they might take your personally identifiable information and sell it for cheap on the the data market right it's, it's just a trust building exercise at its, at its very least and it's also an exercise in reputation building because as you share your journey, the ups and downs, your decisions and your ideas, your experiments, the setbacks and the, the victories, you start in other people's minds to become somebody they can trust for advice. They can trust for whatever they do, right? If, if I'm on my journey now, I'm writing my third book. That means I've written two and people don't seem to hate them. So the third one is probably okay. They might check it out, right? They might not buy it immediately, but at least they're not going to say, this is probably a scam because it's not. They, they see me writing it, building it in public. So it's a relationship building, a trust building, an authenticity building, and eventually a reputation building thing as well. Also, 
We are recording this in late 2023 in the midst of an AI revolution. Mm. And one thing that I believe cannot be augmented, like searches, you know, getting crushed by AI that's giving you the answer, right? But people don't go to a search engine to ask for opinion and perspective. They discover opinion and perspective and they discover stories. And I feel like this philosophy of building in public is the answer to the disruption that is coming with artificial intelligence because people are going to only want to do even more business with the authentic persons, right? And the people that are authentic are going to be vulnerable and share the challenges. AI will never do that. Okay. So that's, that's important. Now to the why Twitter, talk to me about that part. Well, Twitter is the, that's where my community is. Honestly, that's, that's, uh, I think the, the most boring answer is, but that's where the people are that I want to help. That those, that's where the people are that help me. It's kind of this standing on the shoulders of giants. Now, now I want to be a, a smaller, but still a, a giant that for other people, right? I kind of want to do be the same thing that other people were for me. And Twitter is the community where all of this happened. Also, people hate a lot on Twitter, right? It's often politicized. It's vitriolic. People are very aggressive. And I think that is uh, for the same reason that building a public is also so effective on Twitter. Twitter is a platform almost without boundaries. Like everything you post on Twitter in the fire hose of everybody's tweet is potentially visible to everybody else. If you go to a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or, you know, any, any kind of smaller community that maybe even is invite only, whatever you write in there will only be seen by that particular community. Reddit is another example. You have these subreddits, right, where people very specifically have conversations around certain topics. Twitter, you have communities like this, but it only takes one retweet by somebody outside of their community to expose what you say to everybody else, which is why viral things happen so often on Twitter, because it's so easy to just, I think we call it repost now for a completely weird reason that I don't understand. But retweeting is the, the, the idea of just amplifying somebody else's tweet, right, for anybody who may not be aware of, of that function of Twitter. And that exposes information to a complete new graph of potential audience members' future audience members for yourself that might follow you just from that, but also just be to, to be exposed to the idea in, in that particular piece of content. So Twitter is explosive, potentially, by just being able to be seen by the right people. And since Twitter is a network graph, like everybody is connected, right? I am connected to other founders, other creators, and they have their own connections that I might be interested in. Twitter is a wonderful social network to traverse the graph to find the right people. And building in public is a thing that the more you post about what you do, the more you share honestly and authentically what you do, the more people will see you as part of their graph. They may not even follow you, but they see their friends interacting with you. They see their friends being kind to you because you are kind to them. And all of this just over time exposes them to a version of yourself that they then want to interact with. And Twitter is perfect for that. No boundaries means you, you can be in a shit storm pretty quickly, but you can also be in a hug storm if that's the, the opposite of that, right? A love storm because you do something so nice, you share something so meaningful to other people that they just cannot help but amplify it to everybody else out there. That's what Twitter can do. Those of you that have not been on Twitter in a while, if you upgrade to Twitter Blue, which I strongly recommend you do, it's like a blog post. I mean, you can put really long form content inside of there. And most people are like, I can't do it in only 240 characters. Well, you don't have to anymore. Yeah, that's right. So, okay. Building in public, whether we do it on Twitter or not, this question is one that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking right now. You said we should share the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. And how do we know what not to share? 
And how do we know what to share? Because my guess is there's a big chunk of my audience that's like, I don't want to brag. And it seems like everybody's bragging. And there's another chunk of my audience that's like, oh man, I don't know how much I should share about how bad it is because it's pretty darn bad. So so <laughs> well, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about like what is realistic to share, what we should and shouldn't share. Uh, there are so many reasons to share things and so many reasons not to share things on many levels, right? It's it's a, both the things that you just said, the positivity or negativity of a certain event, but also is it something that might damage the business that I'm sharing it for, right? Is it right. my brand that might suffer from this or is it something that I have no control over? That's the thing with being viral on Twitter. Like once you are, like other than muting the thing and just waiting for the next thing to happen, you have no, no chance to, to deal with this, right? Can't just take it down. So yeah, that, that that is, I think, one of the core questions of building in public that everybody is scared of to even think about because it has so much potential of doing damage in people's perception. But honestly, I can tell you one thing. When I started Twitter with 400 people and I tweeted something, well, nobody read it. <laughs> so it didn't really matter if it was good or bad, right? It's an experimentation thing. Like you, you have to understand that vulnerability always has the risk of being hurt. That is what vulnerability is. But it always, at the same time, has the very, very strong potential to build relationships that are much stronger because you were vulnerable. Right? And, and it's, a, it's kind of a trade-off. You can always just talk about the best things in your business. Like I said earlier, like many people do, only highlight the positive things and completely ignore the negative things. And I know a lot of founders who walk that particular path, but people have a pretty solid radar for this. Maybe like a, a bolt sensor in, in a way, right? They, they, don't, they know that you are withholding information by only talking about the good stuff. So their willingness to relate to you is very, very reduced compared to somebody who just said, well, today wasn't my day. I tried this and it didn't really work, but hey, I'm, I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And the thing with that, and I'm going to get to the specifics of it, obviously, because I, I do want people to do more building in public. But when you share things that other people understand are part of the reality of trying to do things that nobody has done before, which is what being a creator is and being an entrepreneur is, or just being somebody who's trying to do new things in new markets for new products, like what every marketer is, people will know that any experiment has a chance of failure. And they themselves want to learn from other people's experiments. So when you think about, should I only share the good or the bad? It's bad to you, but it's good to them. Maybe that, that is a rephrasing or reframing mechanism for yourself that might be really helpful. But, but if you share something that, is, that has been a negative experience for you, you can turn it into a positive experience for the community by sharing it. So I hope this helps. How do we know for oversharing? Oh, oversharing. That's probably where, where this conversation should always go because the, you shouldn't share things that will actively damage your business, right? You shouldn't share trade secrets that other people could exploit to, you know, do the thing you're doing in a better way. Right? You shouldn't, you, you shouldn't share, I don't know, if, if you are Coca-Cola, you should not share your secret recipe for Coca-Cola. That is not a smart choice. But Coca-Cola at the same time has a couple of open secrets. Let's just use them as an example here, right? They have factories all over the place and they're sourcing certain materials from certain places. And obviously they have to be open about this because the, these are like open contracts, sometimes even with governments, with, with agencies and all that kind of stuff. So these things 
are public knowledge and leaning into this, you can talk about, well, what kind of, I don't know, what kind of sugar replacement are we currently experimenting with? Or when it comes to uh, Coca-Cola has, a, I think, also um, a glass reuse policy. And I've seen videos of them going through factories showing how they reuse glass bottles from one place to re refill them and use them in other places. Like these things are not trade secrets. The fact that they use glass bottles that have been used before. But you, you can choose to talk about them and turn your business into an ecologically like you know mindful brand or you can choose not to talk about these things and nobody knows right so the the idea here is to lean into the things that are special about your business but they are not detrimental if the world knows about them at scale for a software business for example the thing that i see every day in the indie hacker community people share their source code because that's kind of, you know, what, what software engineering is all about, sharing cool ideas and ways how you, you deal with certain problems. There is no real secrecy in source code because most developers will understand that once you have a, a problem, the solution will always kind of look like this, right? There's, there's no, that's also why software patents are such a weird thing because you can't really patent an algorithm just structurally. It feels like these things are just mathematics, you can't really patent mathematics, like formulas or something. But you can show people how you're approaching problems. You can show people that, oh, yeah, I need to. And there's a, you said AI is a big thing. Peter Levels, who I mentioned earlier, he's now running an AI avatar or photography generation software. Like he has, you can put a, like a little piece of text in there or a picture or something of a place. And it will show you with a different interior design what this would look like in the style of low, like retro 80s, you know, that kind of stuff or you want this to be more like a beach theme thing and it looks like that. The AI does that for him. And he shares source code snippets from his software properties just to show how certain things are done. He doesn't share the whole thing. He doesn't share like every single secret that he has in there, how specifically he solves it, but he gives you some insight into the, the inner workings of the product so you can understand, oh yeah, interesting. He's very technically capable. Like this guy can solve problems really well. And the more he shares, the more people think, oh yeah, this is interesting. So the next thing that he builds or even the thing that he's currently building, I should give it a spin, right? This looks like something I can use. That is the stuff. It's like, open secrets, not trade secrets, but yeah, just things that are interesting to others that don't hurt your company or your project as you share them. Yeah. And when we were uh, prepping for this show, there was two other things that you talked about that I want to riff on for a second. Mm -hmm. One of them is insider secrets. Like for example, I put on a conference called social media marketing world and I know how other conferences do what they do. And I know how we do things differently, right? For example, we don't have an open call for speakers. We recruit 100% of those speakers. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a great example of like something that I would talk about that would be kind of like, you wouldn't know this if you weren't yeah. an event person that put on these yes. kind of things. Right. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready 
to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. You also talked about decision-making, right? Talk to me a little bit about how processing decisions or how you process decisions in public and how that could be valuable content. You said something nice earlier in our conversation when you were talking about like, if there's already something like the thing you want to do, yeah. then this you should see this as a sign of validation, not a sign of not having, not, not doing it. And, and this is kind of uh, where decision-making comes into play because the reason why it's a good idea to do things that already exist in the world is that First off, it's validated budget. Somebody is actually paying for this. So it's very likely that there are people who have the money to pay for yet another version. And decisions are a key point here because all these businesses or all these projects that existed before you, before you started yours, along the line of their journey, they had to make certain decisions. Who are we serving? What features are we building? And more importantly, well, who are we not for? And what are we not doing? Where are we focusing our resources? And what do we just put to the side and ignore for now? And those are the places where new businesses can actually find meaningful customers because a lot of people who use that product, they would have rather had those people make the other decision, right? But they didn't. They still use the product because it's the only one there. You can go in and uh, actually built something that will help those people. I'm saying this now because there was a tweet about this topic earlier today that I read. So Twitter is a great source of inspiration for these kind of things. But in uh, regard to building in public, most of these businesses made these decisions in secret. They just made them, but you don't know why, which makes it really hard for people who want to use the product but don't understand to build any kind of loyalty with that business. But now, if you build a business in public, and you share not only the things you do, but also why you do them. First off, you give customers an opportunity to give you feedback. They give you the you give them the opportunity to tell you, no, actually, I need this because you get more insight into your customers' actual needs if you share with them why you're making certain choices. Like you have the ability to correct your choices not ten years down the line or like a, six months down the line when your version is out or the first customers are churning because it wasn't right for them you can do it within 10 minutes of you talking about it, right? You can do it before you actually make the final choice, which is extremely valuable. And at the same time, in sharing your decision-making, you also, like I mentioned earlier, built this reputation as an expert because only somebody who's really thought things through can kind of claim to be an expert. And as you share your decision-making process, you demonstrate, you leave traces of your ambition in front of other people, just how much of an expert you are willing to be in this field. It's extremely powerful. And these traces on social media, or if you write blog posts or record podcast episodes, either by yourself or with other people in an interview setting like this, these things will stick around forever. And the AI tools that are currently in the market, they are transcribing every single YouTube video anywhere, summarizing it, pulling information out, pulling names out of it. And the more you appear in these things as somebody who's reputable, the more your reputation will increase as well in a digital sphere. It's extremely powerful to share not just the what, but also the how and why, as this just skyrockets expertise in the perception of the people that you want to serve. Awesome. So what I'm hearing you say is the kinds of content we can share when building in public is the way we think, how we make decisions, kind of like what I did free flow earlier in this interview. We can share perspective and insight from an insider in a certain industry that the rest of our customer base or prospects wouldn't understand. I can see all sorts of fascinating 
experts that are listening to this saying, oh yeah, I could share my my thoughts and opinions and perspectives from this angle. Obviously, open secrets, what you talked about, right? Which are things that are maybe not our audience isn't aware of, and they might find it fascinating, but it is something that is not necessarily an inside trade secret. Yep. I love all that. So now let's say we're starting to do this, right? How do we actually grow an audience that's interested in this specifically on Twitter? Like, what do we need to do? Let's say we've come up with some ideas of what we want to quote unquote talk about, right? What do we do on Twitter? How do we get to the point where we can start getting an audience? Because like you said, you start with 400 people, right? And now mm-hmm. you're over 100,000. So what do we need to know? Yeah, we, you start with zero. That's the worst part of it, right? You have nobody. That's a good point. We all start with zero. <laughs> I yeah. started, I think, with 400 people because I'd been on Twitter for 10 years at that point doing like all random kinds of things, right? I was just like following friends on Twitter or following a couple people I found interesting. I just didn't use it intentionally. And that's the difference. The difference, once you want to start using Twitter as a means to build an audience, to like sustain a business or sustain attention to, to get anywhere, you have to use it intentionally. And the first intentional choice is one that feels weird, but you have to stop tweeting. <laughs> because tweeting, like the act of just writing a tweet, sending it and hoping for engagement, and the way I phrase it should kind of give you a clue that it's not really working, right? Particularly if nobody follows you. Because Twitter only really exposes your tweets to people who follow you. And if you have no followers, well, nobody's going to see it. And even if you have followers, let's say you have 100 followers, like really, really clawed them together from all kinds of social interactions, only 10 of them or so are going to see that tweet. Because Twitter, first off, they only show whatever you do to a fraction of your audience. And then it's competing with everybody else's tweets in your timeline. So, you know, 10, 10% is already pretty high at that point. So out of these 100 people, 10 get to see it on their feeds. And over the course of a day, maybe like, I don't know, six of them log in and maybe three of them actually read it. And maybe one of them, if you're lucky, clicks on reply or like. Like that's 100 people in an audience, but very little engagement if you just tweet out. The, the trick here, or it's not even a trick, it's just like how people interact, is to engage with people where they're already having conversations. If you go to a party, for example, and you, you walk into the middle of the room and you just start talking to nobody in particular, like what, what, what does it look like? Right? First off, people are going to be, that is weird. Also, they're not going to join you and have a, a normal conversation. Like you, you kind of burned everybody at that party just with that one move. Now, what you do And even as an introvert, a person that I would consider myself as, you would just find a group of people that is having a conversation to kind of stand close-ish and maybe move a little bit closer after a couple minutes. Maybe, you know, go to the forefront, just figure out who everybody is. And then 10 minutes in, when you have something to say, you start contributing to the conversation. And all of a sudden, you know five new people. And you exchange information or you just exchange your names. And over the course of that event, you talk again. It doesn't have to be a party. It could be a conference for that matter or any kind of event that you go to, right? A meetup or, yeah, it's just any, any place where either professionals or people who have the same interest as you congregate. You go to where they're already having conversations. Twitter is the exact same thing. You go to where people that you want to have a connection with are having active connections with other people. So what you do, to, to do that like really pragmatically is you follow a significant number of people that you want to have a conversation with, or maybe better, that you know have a large enough audience for you to have conversations with, right? You don't necessarily need to talk to, I don't know, Tim Ferriss when you want to talk about entrepreneurship or Peter Atia when you want to talk about, you know, like psychology or physical health, but you know that these people have followings of hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are interested in them. 
So you follow the, the big guy or gal, and you start looking for conversations that they are part of, that they instigate, or that they amplify. And you participate not necessarily in the conversation because of them or with them. You don't talk to Tim Ferriss like that person probably doesn't even read his tweets much anymore because it's a busy guy, but he has a team very likely to, to deal with certain things, uh, mostly probably marketing things or, you know, sponsorships or whatnot. But you look at the people that are talking in the replies with each other, because those are probably people just like you. Obviously, you follow the same person, you have something in common, and you chat with them. And you chat with them not just once, you do it every day or multiple times a day, whenever there's something interesting and an interesting kind of thread or tweet or whatever that you have actually have something meaningful to contribute to. Let's just say that here too, because there are people, and we call them the reply guys, people who just jump in there to reply and even use like AI assisted technology to sound clever, but are never authentically themselves. Those people are horrible and they are destroying conversations. So never be that person, please. But if you don't have anything to say, well, don't go somewhere else, find another conversation to participate in. But once you do, over time, people will recognize you as one of them. And you can just honestly, the way you communicate with people in a meaningful way is that it's kind of a, a bi-directional thing. Either you you zoom into a conversation, you 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 ask questions to get deeper, right? As we do in an interview setting like this. If I say something you find interesting, you dig, you can do the same on in a Twitter conversation. Or you zoom out, you try to recontextualize the conversation with some kind of insight that you have that kind of pulls it into a different direction, makes it more interesting, get, gets another perspective on the thing, right? That's a way to contribute to a conversation. So zoom in or zoom out. And then you can do another thing, which is kind of, I guess, how social media works. You can zoom in and zoom out and on the lens, not just of content, but of people too. You can bring other people into the conversation. You can like zoom in with them. You can bring them along and bring them in because they're an expert in the field. I often do this or did this particularly in the beginning when I didn't have many followers. There was a conversation about, I don't know, software pricing and software as a service pricing strategies, stuff that I personally needed to know, but not every founder is aware of the experts in the field. But I knew who the experts were. So I would just mention them and ask, well, what do you think of this? Like, you're an expert, obviously, and I've heard you talk about this at X conference or in this tweet here, link the tweet or whatever. What do you think? And now all of a sudden you pull another person in who is by themselves an expert that gives you kind of proximity to expertise, which is good for your own personal brand. It gives them the opportunity to see somebody connecting them with their community. And it gives the community a sense of, oh, this person is so interested in contributing. They're even pulling in other people. Really cool. Right? That's zooming in with people. Zooming out with people is really just amplifying the thing, retweeting it, like sharing it with as many people as you can. That is always an option too, right? to engage with people. Because when they see you retweeting their work, many people say it, it's not uh, when they retweet, it's, it's not meant to, to say that they actually support this. But that's what a retweet is, really. Realistically, when you retweet something, it's kind of supporting the thing that's being said. So zoom in and out content-wise, zoom in and out personal-wise. That's a way to deal with contributing to a conversation in many different ways. And then just keep doing this over time. I guess have a good Twitter bio, a good profile, where people that then come to your profile see what you are about. Give them the promise of a journey. 
that's something I've been doing recently. I've been looking at people's Twitter profiles and tearing them down, really getting into it, like 15, 30 minutes, just telling them what is wrong with it, how it can be fixed, and that kind of stuff. And one of the biggest things that I've seen that people mistakes, I guess, or, or lack of awareness of is that people only describe themselves, like in the dating profile, right? I am a male, I'm 40 years old, I live in this place, but nobody cares about your profile. People want to see what's in it for them when they come to your Twitter profile. What is, if I follow this person, what am I going to get? Like, how am I going to get it? Am I going to learn from them? Am I going to get opportunities? Are they going to teach me something completely new? Or are they going to make me better at what I'm already doing? If you can communicate this in your bio or in your header and your pinned tweet or whatever, then people might follow you. And over time, this then allows you, and I'm, I'm closing in a second here, then allows you to start posting your own things, instigate your own conversations and share things from your journey as single standalone tweets that don't have to happen in other people's conversations as you are building this reputation as somebody who's not just a community contributor, but also an expert in the field. So it starts with this going to other people, talking with their friends, pretty much. Is that the audience audition is what I call this. You audition in front of somebody else's audience. And over time, you will attract like-minded people to whom you can then share your actual original building public tweets. Okay, so I'm sure some people are thinking to themselves, Arvid, this seems like a lot of time, <laughs> right? Because if I'm hearing you correctly, what I'm hearing you say is, hey, go out there and find some people that you think have the audience that you're trying to attract. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Go out there and look at the people that are commenting, probably check out their profile or whatever to see whether they'd be worthy of engagement, begin engaging with them, begin doing all the things you've talked about. Some of those people are going to follow you, right? And as a result of that, and other people are going to private DM you, they're going to become friends. It's just kind of networking, right? It's wise networking. It's kind of what you do when you go to, for example, a conference. But what's great is it's highly scalable on Twitter, but it sure does seem like it could take a lot of time. So answer that. Is it true? How much time do you allocate to something like this? So when I started, I think I spent 15 minutes a day doing this. Okay. Like 15 minutes of just browsing through my home feed, going into the conversations, writing something down. Every tweet took me maybe a minute to write. I mean, that's the great thing about Twitter. Even if you have Twitter blue, like uh, the, the professional thing, you're still trying to condense whatever you say into 280 characters or, or less, right? You, you, you don't write an essay on Twitter. You write a, a kind of what a short message would be equivalent to. So it doesn't take that long. And you don't have to do this like 100 times a day. At some point, you saturate people in your audience. So you want to keep it to 15 minutes, maybe 30 if you want to spend a lot of time, maybe 10 in the morning, 10 in the, in the afternoon if you want to reach multiple time zones, which is a whole other thing on Twitter. It's a it's a global network and your market may not be necessarily only in your local time zone, but t take a good point of time, time box it, batch it so you can really spend focus on this. And anything you don't fit into those 15 minutes, there's also scheduling. A lot of people schedule their tweets to be sent out at certain times because it just fits better. And there are tools out there for like, I don't know, 29 bucks a month or something, even for like the, the enterprise version, this is less than three digits a month that facilitate that very easily. These tools can even retweet automatically your tweets 12 hours later so that you then reach the other side of the globe. Tooling is a is a really easy thing for you to use to to make this much much faster. You can sometimes spend an hour just writing tweets in the week and then schedule them for the next seven days, and all of a sudden you don't have to show up on that day. 
You still want to, I guess, for engagement purposes, like going into conversations that are happening, you still want to take those 10, 15 minutes, but you don't have to spend hours on this. You still have to build something meaningful, right? You can't just talk about it on Twitter. Like building in public means you have to do the building and the in public part too. So let's think about the content here for a second. Let's say that there's plenty of people that have been on Twitter for a long time like me and they have a decent sized audience. I've got like, I don't know, 180,000. My company has like over 500,000 because we've been on it forever. What we're not doing is we're not necessarily building in public on Twitter. So I'm thinking about content types. We talk, we spent a lot of time talking about the substance of what we should talk about. I'm thinking about like video, the written word, pictures. You know, I've read some stuff recently about how Elon has completely open sourced the code on Twitter. And I'm just curious, since you're a developer, what are, have you looked at it? What are your thoughts as far as at least today, as we're recording this, the kinds of content we ought to produce on Twitter? Yeah, yesterday, as of this recording, there was a good tweet by Thibaut, who is uh, one of the makers of a Twitter tool called Tweet Hunter. Shout out to, to those. Uh, yeah, I'm somewhat affiliated with them. Let me just say that too. But he analyzed that code and he looked into every single change that was made over the last couple months. He even got Elon Musk to reply to this an analysis asking if there's anything he should be changing. It was really an interesting tweet to watch. I'd want to put that one in the show notes because it was really, really insightful. And he looked into the way the algorithm kind of suppresses certain things and the way the algorithm really boosts others. And what he saw right now at this point and yeah, mid late 2023 is video is extremely strong. They are competing right now with YouTube so much on Twitter that even mentioning YouTube or putting a YouTube link into your tweet will massively suppress it. But putting a long form video in there and nothing else, no, no URLs, but just the video itself will get, get you a massive boost. I've seen this in my own content. I put my, whenever I release a podcast episode, which is twice a week. How long of a video can you put up there, by the way? Two hours at this point. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. Okay. This is, I think also a Twitter blue thing. I think for people who don't have Twitter Blue, it's like five minutes or something. Okay. So, All right. you know, they incentivize people pretty well to get their $8 Okay, so we know video. What else? Yeah, well, the video is, is important. Anything with images is important. Okay. Like multiple images, that works really well. GIFs, also a thing, like memes, like anything that encourages people to stop scrolling because they have to visually interpret the thing. That, that really works. Long form content also works surprisingly well. Like actually essays like posted right in there. I've been experimenting with that. Yeah. Inline images now too. You can put images into your tweet at certain positions. Okay. This is fascinating because I saw this and I didn't know how they did it. Does this mean it's almost like it allows you to compose it almost like a blog post? It, it's, it's turning that way. Yeah. Twitter is from like wow. turning from short message platform to full content platform, which I guess, and I hate to say this, I kind of get the whole X rebrand in that regard. Like what X is today, Twitter would never have wanted to be as Twitter back in the day, yeah. right? So I kind of understand it. I still hate it. And I'm probably going to dead name Twitter for a long time because I'm just so used to it. But yeah, anything that is not just short messages is a really good idea, right? Threads that has a, have a lot of like uh, media components, videos, text, all of that, that will get boosted massively. What will get de-boosted is any mention of a competitor threads or, you know, the, the Facebook meta thing or YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, any, any link to these platforms that, that do something that Twitter wants to do, which at this point, I guess is everything is going to get de-boosted. Well, and links too. I read links are also being deprioritized. URLs are generally a problem. Like if you link to places like Wikipedia, probably not as bad, but if you link only to your own thing all the time, 
Yeah. Yeah, the algorithm is also smart. It understands like what are public links that everybody understands or I don't know, the New Yorker or something. That's fine. But if it's kind of some weird arcane website somewhere, maybe even a scam site or something, you're going to run into trouble. So just keep people on the platform. That's the idea of Twitter. Twitter wants you to stay on the platform and they want you to make things that keep people on the platform as well, which is why you shouldn't put links into your Twitter bio much either or post post links all the time and put it in your pin, pin tweet. People don't want to leave Twitter. They are on Twitter for a reason and Twitter wants to keep them there. You know, what's fascinating to me is you have written stuff and then you have spoken stuff, right? And mm-hmm. in audio and video, right? So I would imagine you could schedule the written thing for the readers and then you could schedule the video thing, which is the exact same thing a few days later for the for the people that prefer to watch do you do that yeah i i do like kind of i staggered in a in a certain way on twitter in particular i release it all at the same time like my youtube goes out at 9 a.m on friday and, and wednesday and my my uh, transistor podcast as well and my newsletter goes out on friday at the exact five minutes later for a little bit of a delay but doesn't you know all of these things go out at the same time but on twitter i only post a link to the podcast really which has links to the other things but it's the embedded podcast that plays on twitter at that point the audio version and then over the next couple of days i post little snippets that link to it whoa, whoa, wait you can have an embedded podcast on twitter yeah well welcome to the magic of embedded widgets on twitter like if you go to a platform like transistor fm which is also a bootstrap business by the way run by two really cool people if you host your podcast there and i think other platforms probably do it too the moment you post a link to one of their share sites, it will automatically be pulled into Twitter. You can play it right there, the whole thing, right in the tweet, which is oh, super useful. Wow. It's really just a tiny, small little thing, like a like a preview image, but it has a play button and it will play. It's wow. Pretty cool. Those plays obviously still count towards your analytics, but they happen right in the medium, which is why Twitter doesn't hate it. Like if you embed on there and it, people don't leave, well, that's fine, right? Like if you post to YouTube and you have to go there, not a good idea. But if you have a video right there, which you can just watch, that's perfectly fine. So yeah, if, if I, that's what I do. I post it just, just a podcast. And then two days later, I just upload the full video onto Twitter, post the whole thing. Because at that point, YouTube is like, ah, this is two days old, old news. Might just as well been recorded in 2004. Now he's not never going to be shown to anybody again. So I can just post it to Twitter so people get it then. Yeah, that's how I do it. Arvid, this has been a really fascinating discussion. If people want to connect with you on Twitter, what is your Twitter URL handle, whatever we want to call it. And then also if they want to check you out, you want to send them anywhere in particular, if they want to check out your book or anything you're doing with your business. Yeah. You'll you find me on Twitter for sure. I spend 25 hours a day there. It's Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And for anything else, thebootstrapfounder.com. That's my blog. That's where my podcast is, my YouTube channel, my books, my writing, whatever. Just check it out. But talk to me on Twitter. I prefer this, right? You don't have to buy my things. You could just come by and chat with me. That's what I'm, why I'm doing this. I had an exit of a business in the past. I'm not here for money. I'm doing this because I want other people to do cool things, which is why I would rather have you read my things than, you know, do something else. Arvid Call, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 581. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today. 
and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.